appreciate you. Thank you so much. So I can feel like I can speak honestly to this issue, but you are blessed with what you have here, and I hope you don't take that for granted for several reasons. See a good, healthy crowd like this, especially in a country area like this, and then as many children that you have in this church. You ought to thank God for that. Thank God for that. Um, we've had quite a few new families join our church this year, and uh, several of them were older couples, and some of them make that statement to me regularly that one of the reasons they love our church is because of the youth and it's crazy sometimes they drive you crazy but remember we have to remember that all of us were their age at one time right and uh, thank god for children thank god for the sound of them running up and down the hallways of a church building thank god to see them up here singing you know and i I was so blessed by that kids choir that was such a blessing y'all did a fantastic job and i just praise the lord for that god is so good and so just really excited about what god has planned for you all and if he's given you this facility and it's worked out for y'all to be here, just get ready. Hold on. Good days are coming, you know. And I got to have a luncheon with your leadership today and was so impressed by the leaders, the ministry leaders, and just thankful for what's going on here. And praise the Lord for pastor. God is good. And I just have to share this big blessing. I had mentioned it to you this morning. And then uh, we, at lunch, my family was texting me. My sister was texting me, letting me know that my six-year-old deaf niece Went to junior church today. Normally she would be in deaf church because I'm, when I'm not home, we go and have the deaf and hearing combined. On Sunday mornings, normally we have Sunday school at 930 and then at church at 1030. While I'm preaching to the hearing people, the deaf have Sunday school. And then after the deaf Sunday school is over, they come in and I preach to them only in sign language. And you can see that on YouTube, BBCJC Media, Bible Baptist Church, Jeff sees what it stands for, BBCJC Media. And you'll have, you'll have a good time looking at all those media videos because some of them I sign and talk, some of them I talk only, and some of them I sign only. And uh, anyway, so she happened to, because I was out of town today, she happened to be in the super church or junior church that my son preaches. And my daughter was interpreting for her brother as they were preaching to the cousin and my little deaf niece got saved this morning. So we were so excited. She's been thinking about it for a while and just really burdened about it. And I've been witnessing to her and others in the family have been talking to her and encouraging her about it. But she got saved today. And after she got saved, she told my daughter, she goes, the devil lost, God won, and we can kick the devil now. So, and just imagine a six-year-old girl signing that statement is even, even, it makes it even better. So speaking of the deaf, I just wanted to give you something to think about as far as deaf ministry goes, because we're going to be in Mark chapter 7 this evening. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 7. Have you ever thought about this? You know, I, I've, I've been pastoring, as he said, for 25 years, so I've been in lots of churches. I, I was just thinking about it. I don't even know how many churches I've been in. And, and by the way, I love Brother Al Stone. Brother Al Stone came to our missions conference of COVID year, and he came. And our missions conference is the first week of March. And so he came, and then everything kind of started to shut down, you know. But we were much like your church. We went ahead and pretty much stayed open. We did take a few days, a few weeks pause just to make sure everything was good, and then we just we cranked it back up. Um, but Brother Stone challenged our church to do the Show Me Gospel Project, we called. And we got a, we got a gospel into every house in our county. And uh, we have another church that has gotten it to a lot of the counties in the northern part of the state of Missouri. And we're going to try to partner with them this fall, or for sure by the fall of 2024, uh, and try to get the gospel into every county in the state of Missouri. So while you're reaching your state, we're going to try our best to reach our state, getting the gospel in every home. Praise the Lord for that. What a blessing it is to see God working in our midst. But as you, as you think about the deaf... I want you to think about something tonight. When you, when you, you probably never thought about this, but when, I, when, you say, so when somebody says, let's bow your heads or close your eyes, you know, hearing people, you can bow your head and close your eyes, but deaf people can't do that. 
All right. They have to watch. They still have to watch uh, the signer. And so in deaf people, their culture, they're more blunt. Um, if you gain weight, they'll let you know. If you're going bald, they will let you know. In fact, they're really good at telling you the negative things and not the positive things about you. you know. Um, but one of the things I love about the deaf culture in that regard is, and I've seen it many times in my church, I've preached deaf revivals in California all the way to New York. I mean, and in between, I've, I've, I've preached and ministered to deaf people all over the country. And um, one of the things that I love is you give the invitation and the deaf people are watching. You say, who needs to get saved? They'll just point right here, this guy right here. And they'll wave, they'll wave at me and say, hey, right here. And they'll just say, hey, raise your hand right now. Me? Yeah, yeah, raise, right now, raise your hand. Me? Why? You need to get saved. Hey, he does drugs. He's a drinker. I mean, raise your hand right now, you know. And, you know, you're just sitting here like, okay. And they raise their hand, and he comes forward and gets saved, you know. And I've seen that many times. I was preaching in New York City one time, deaf revival. There was two of my dad. There was about 120 deaf people in the congregation. There was only deaf people there except my family. And I was preaching in sign language. And at the, I gave the invitation, and one of my buddies had brought a deaf person there. And, and he just nudged him and said, go. And he's like, what? And he goes, go. So he gets up, walks forward, and I end up leading the Lord after church, you know. And uh, I'll never forget one time in my church many years ago, I was, I was standing on, near the front of our pulpit, and our auditorium is just a little bit longer than that back wall, well, quite a bit farther. And a deaf guy walks up, and he stands in the doorway, and he waves at me, and he goes, hey, I brought a visitor. first time visitor. I'm like, oh, awesome, because you can sign across long distances when you, when you, when you do sign language. I said, awesome. He goes, he, does, he smokes pot, he drinks, he needs Jesus. I'm like, okay, okay. And he's like, what? Well, you know, so he brings him in. He ends up getting saved that day, too, so, you know. It's a, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to be in the deaf culture and the deaf world. And so for my daughter, my niece to get saved, my daughter to be a part of that, and, and to see that happen this morning in our church was such a blessing. And we just praise the Lord for that. It's, 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 you know, I was telling a preacher at lunch today that they say, this is, the statistics show that if, this was an older statistic from the early 2000s, but it's probably worse now, that in America there's one pastor to have 450 hearing people. That's the ratio, and that, is, that includes all denominations, so that means some of them don't preach the salvation truth, but there's only one to 9,000 deaf people. And uh, the manpower hours that it would take for a deaf person to get saved, it's equal to about 1,000 hearing people getting saved. And so oftentimes at our church, we have a good time. If, like, let's say we have three deaf get saved, we've, I'll announce that Sunday night, hey, 3,000 got saved, and the church always knows that means three deaf people got saved that day, but... But praise the Lord for that. And just, again, I like to put that plug out. I don't expect everybody to get fluent in signings, but at least pray. We did get an address to visit, so my wife and I will try to go by and visit a deaf person tomorrow. Um, so we're looking forward to that. Pray for that. We'll see what happens. So praise the Lord for that. God is good. All right, let's go to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. And if it's okay, Brian, you got that. Brian, Brian wants to share a quote with you all tonight. And he wants you all to see this powerful, life-changing quote. Life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer to the end you get, the faster it spins. Um, I said that at the marriage retreat, and I said it this morning, and he, he decided to make a slide out of that. So I've said that quote all over the country, but I've never seen it on a screen, and my heart is touched deeply <laughs> that I got to experience that at this church and see that great life-changing quote up on a screen, and I praise the Lord for that. Having said that, though, I was wondering if, Brian, if you'd be willing to come down and Pastor Stances, if you both would be willing to help me with an, a visual illustration to start this message off. If you can, Brian, come on down for just a little bit. I already asked your cousin, Brother Shane, if you could be excused for just a second. He said that'd be fine. So let's go and stand together and look at Mark chapter 7, if you will. And we won't be real long with this, with this uh, illustration, but I think you all will enjoy this illustration. I believe this could be the key to revival right here, okay? 
And uh, I won't need you both very long, if that's okay. But it's a, it's a blessing because I, I leaned over to these young ladies that are sitting in our row. And I said, would you like me to embarrass Brian tonight? And they overjoyed and said, yes, please do. So sounds like the church has the same sentiment, I guess, right there. So it's those preacher's kids. I know I got four of them. Amen. Look at verse 31 of me. And the Bible says, and again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he, Jesus, came to the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was, that's right, a deaf person. The Bible talks about a deaf person. It's my dad's favorite story. All right, look at the person next to you and say, you're not deaf, are you? All right, very good. <laughs> very good. And had an impediment. <laughs> Some of you said, huh? All right, anyway. And had an impediment in his speech, and they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto them, Ephatha, that is, be open. And straightway his ears were open, and the string of his tongue was loose, and he spake plain. The string of his tongue was loose and he spake plain. You may be seated, Father. Blessed tonight. Help us to, Lord, we'll never have church-wide revival or statewide, nationwide revival without personal revival. Tonight it's about personal revival. And, Lord, this message, I believe, will set the stage for the next three nights. So speak to our hearts, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to just visually see this so you'll never forget it. So, Pastor is going to be, since he's the under-shepherd of the church, we'll let him represent Jesus Christ. All right? And Brian, you're going to be the deaf man. Right, I, want you to, I want you to copy me. We're going to do some signing. Say, hello. How are you? Sign him up. He's, he's fluent in signing now. He's a deaf man, okay? So uh, let's, just, let's just be real for a second, okay? The Lord knows my heart. How many of you have read the Bible and seen things Jesus did or God did and just thought to, my, thought to yourself, man, God just does some weird things in the Bible? <laughs> just weird things. I mean, let's just be honest. Have me, have me right? I mean, he's God. Uh, someone said one time, I don't completely understand God. And I said, that's a blessing. Because if you completely understood God, he wouldn't be much of a God. I'm glad we can't completely understand him. We trust him. Amen. Knowing that he's always right and he knows what's best for all of us. Amen. But in this passage here, we're going to see what Jesus does. Okay. This is what the Bible says. So, preacher, you are Jesus and Brian's the deaf man. So I guess you'll have to face each other for this particular activity. And here's what the Bible says that Jesus does. They said they brought a deaf man unto him. Interestingly enough, the Bible says he takes him aside from the multitude, verse 30. And the Bible says he put his fingers into his ears. All right, listen up now. Jesus invented the wet willy. You got Bible for it right there. It's in the book. Jesus started the wet willy, okay? All right, that's, that's weird, but... And wait, there's more, all right? And the Bible goes on and says that he... Spit. Now, you don't have to really spit on them. You can act on them, but you can do whatever you want because you are the dad. <laughs> Jesus spit. All right, so maybe you want to act like you spit on them? All right. And then here's my favorite one of them all. He touched his tongue. <laughs> so let's review it again real quickly. He put his fingers into his ears. He spits. And he touches his tongue. All right. Very good. All right. Give them a hand. That's awesome. All right. Thank you, Brian. I, uh, I, fly, I fly a lot. My wife and I, she flies with me a lot more. My kids have flown with me. But I fly a lot all across the country to many meetings. I do not travel 48 weeks out of the year like Brother Stone does. Thank God. But, but I do travel quite a bit. And I fly. How many have ever flown Southwest before? Southwest Airlines, for those of you that don't know, is, is a unique airline. They don't give you an assigned seat. 
you see in A class, B class, or C class. There's, no, there's not even a first class section on the plane. All the seats are equal. Everybody's equal on that plane. Except if you get an A seating, you get to get on the plane first. If you get a B seating, you get to plan, get on the plane second. And if you're C seating, C stands for center. You're going to sit in the middle seat. I have boarded many, many, many Southwest planes. And I'm an A-lister, thank God, so I don't have to check in. They automatically make me an A-lister. So when I get on the plane, it's practically empty. I get to pick a seat. And when you're a big boy like me, you figure out real quickly where the best seats are on an airplane. Because they don't make those airplane seats for big men. Can I get an amen, big man? Come on. Amen. All right. Yeah, we see we got a lot of big men in this church. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. And so uh, we'll sit in the, I'll sit there, you know, in the, uh, in the aisle or the window, but I never sit in the middle. Nobody ever just volunteers and sits in the middle. In fact, Southwest, sometimes we'll get on the intercom and say, we're, we're down to middle seat, so go and pick the first middle seat. You see there's no more aisles or windows because that's just the way it is on a Southwest flight. But years ago when my kids were small, we flew different airlines, and I would like to play a little game. My kids, I remember being small and say, Dad, let's play the game. And so as I was getting onto an airplane, I would walk down the aisle, and I would see someone sitting at the window, and then C, see someone sitting at the aisle and the middle seat would be open. And I would slowly stop and look at my ticket and look at them and make them think that I might be sitting in that middle seat. <laughs> and it was just a fun little game because you could see the sheer horror on their face as they thought to themselves. And I know what they were saying in their hearts. Not the big boy, not the big boy, not the big boy. And then I would act like, oh, wrong one and go, oh, and then move on. And then you could hear the sigh of relief ah, because I was not sitting in the middle seat. And as I continue to walk down the aisle, find my seat, we, everything was just fine, right? And I was thinking about that. And years ago, I heard my good friend, Brother McIntyre, share a devotional thought at Indian Creek Baptist Camp during the morning flagpole devotion from this passage. And the Lord used it to stir my heart. And I, I put together this message with the help of the Holy Spirit. And I've preached it quite a while because I believe tonight you're going to see one of the reasons why so many Christians today are not experiencing personal revival. I believe no matter what happens in this world, I'm not one of those gloom and doom preachers. Listen, don't sign me up for the kumbaya clinics. I'm not going to sit around in a basement holding hands singing kumbaya, scared of what's happening, worried about it, gloom and doom. I'm not one of those preachers. I believe God's on the throne. I believe he could bring another revival. I believe God can do whatever he wants. And we as the church should be excited about that and expect that. Now, will it happen? I don't know, but I sure believe a nationwide revival could happen. Maybe he'll sweep one last revival before he checks us out of here. And the rapture's coming soon. Hey, listen, we might talk about the rapture one night this week. There is nothing left on God's calendar, biblically speaking, that that needs to be fulfilled except for the rapture. The rapture's the next event on God's calendar. We're excited about that. But here's what I've learned, just like the example of that seat in the airplane. Our church built a building 15, 16, 17 years ago, our, our auditorium building, and we just finished our gymnasium and, and 12 classrooms. I mentioned that this morning, but our auditorium we built, the architect told me that it would hold 700 people when it was done. We had a balcony. And as we got in there for a while, I learned real quickly it would not hold 700 Americans. <laughs> maybe 700 Filipinos, maybe 700 Mexicans, but not 700 Americans, okay? For several reasons. One, Americans, we just big people, eh, man? We just are. Uh, a preacher friend of mine told me a story about how he brought a, a Russian national pastor to America one time. He toured America and got ready to go back. He said, what do you think of my country? He goes, ah, America, amazing country. Everything big. He said, buildings big. Cars big. People big. You know, I mean, there's a lot of truth to that, right? We all know that. But there's another reason I want to su- submit to you all tonight as to why... Our church building couldn't hold 700. And that's because 
And this church actually is going to ruin this illustration because y'all are sitting pretty snug together tonight. But here's what the average Baptist church looks like, right? There's a pew that can hold seven or eight people. Mama comes in, throws down her purse or suitcase, and she sits there in the pew. Dad comes down, throws his Bible down. Kid comes down, puts his Bible down. Another kid comes down, puts his Bible down. So you have suitcase, mom, Bible, dad, Bible, kid, Bible, kid, and they're spread out, right? Americans, I've learned, do not like to have people in their personal space. I listen very carefully. Every church has them. I'm sure there's that one person here tonight. We love you, and you might not even know you're that person. But everybody in this room is going to know. You're the one that thinks we can't hear you unless you are right up in our grill. I have church members just like that, and I love them. I'll back up, but they still think I can't hear them. No, it's my mom and dad that are deaf. I can hear you fine. Stay there. Plus, they're usually, their breath not smelling very good, daddy. Can I get an amen right there? Their breath not very good. I've learned a trick. Just slide into the chair, slide into the pews, lean back, and they're stuck. I have a barrier now, and I can still hear them talk, right? But there's always those people that think they got to be right up in your personal space. Some of y'all are smiling right now because that means there's somebody in this room right now that is like that, all right? We will not name any names because, hey, God's children are loved by all of us. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. But stay with me now. We don't like people in our personal space. Now, remember, remember, listen very carefully. Jesus spoke the creation of this universe. Jesus said, let there be light, and there was light. God could speak and do anything he wanted. But when Jesus was on earth and he performed miracle after miracle after miracle, he almost always did it by touching somebody with his hand. Hey, Jesus, he's a leper. Don't get close to him. Just speak in him. I mean, the lepers even practically said sometimes, just tell us to be. No, no. Jesus wanted to put his hands on the leper. He wanted to get so close, get right up in your personal space so that you could see him so close, look into his eyes, hear his heartbeat, maybe even hear his voice tenderly as he encouraged you, as he did that miracle. And listen to me, I'm telling you right now that those people that allowed Jesus in the Gospels to be in their personal space left different than they came. We live in a society today, let me just be honest with you, in America, Christians all across this country and around the world, where we want Jesus to be in the same house but not in the same room as us. We want him kind of like the Laodicean church age. We want him close enough, but we want him on the porch. He's knocking on the door of his own church. That should never happen. We want Jesus to know we have social media, but we don't want him to see what we're posting on social media. We, we, we want Jesus, teenagers, let's very carefully, we want Jesus to know uh, that we love them and we're, we're serving the Lord, but we don't want them reading our text messages that we send. In other words, we want Jesus close enough by so that we can cry out when we're hurting, cry out when there's a problem. We want to cry out to him, and, and as always, he'll come and help us, but we do not want him in our personal space because when Jesus gets in our personal space, sometimes things are going to get a little bit uncomfortable. Can I ask you a very simple question, and that's the title of the message? Is Jesus in your personal space? Now, look at this passage again. The Bible says that Jesus comes to this deaf man, pulls him aside from the multitude, puts his fingers into his ears, spits and touches his tongue. And the Bible says nothing of a protest by this deaf man. Now, if you walked in the room tonight and you saw Brother Shane and let's see, where's Brother Greg at? That's that Brother Greg. If you walked in the room tonight and you saw Brother Shane and Brother Greg just sitting up in the front taking turns, just your turn and putting fingers in each other's ears and (laughs) giggling. And then touching each other's tongues and spitting on each other. Many of you would be like, okay, what, what's happened here? What's happening? This just doesn't look, this isn't right. This isn't normal. That's not normal behavior. But Jesus is likes to be abnormal sometimes. 
While everybody expects common, Jesus does uncommon things. And I'm telling you right now that the problem with America today is so many Christians today, boy, we give them lip service, we sing about them, boy, you can scroll through Instagram or Facebook, and boy, there's so many people out there that post things about Jesus, and they talk about Jesus, and there's movies about Jesus, and they sing about Jesus. But if Jesus got up in their personal space, they would immediately back away and say, Jesus, I don't want you that close. But let me tell you something right now. The reason why we're not seeing miracles like we used to, the reason why we're not seeing revival like we used to, it's because we're not letting him get in our personal space again. Because when Jesus gets in our personal space, we're going to have to change some things. When Jesus gets in our personal space, we're going to have to yield and be submissive to his will and what he wants. And so tonight, I want us to take just a quick journey through these few perverses. And I want to encourage you and by making application on these different events that Jesus first. First of all, I want you to notice, number one, there's five quick statements tonight and we'll be done. Number one, I want you to notice this. The first thing Jesus did was take him aside from the multitude. Look at verse number 33 again. The Bible says, and he took him aside from the multitude. He took him aside from the multitude. My dad loves that verse because most of Jesus' miracles were performed in front of crowds. But why did he take the deaf man aside? That's interesting. My dad thinks Jesus knew sign language and he was using sign language with him. My dad likes to have fun theories about that. And we talk about it. But here's the application. That's the actual story. This is a true story. It really happened. But the application tonight is simply this. You ready for this? He wants a one-on-one relationship with you. He wants a one-on-one relationship with you and me. Can you believe that tonight? Hey, just stop for a second. Meditate on that. Chew on that for just a second. The creator of this universe wants a one-on-one relationship with you. He wants to know you. As we just heard the preacher say a little while ago, he walks with us and he talks with us and, and he's with us. He's, he's journeying through life with us. And he wants that one-on-one relationship with you. And if you make your mind up to spend some time with him every day, he will never miss an appointment. He will never call in sick. He will never cancel you and he'll never be late. Can I tell you something today? He wants a relationship with you, sir. He wants a relationship with you, ma'am. And everybody in this room is going to worship God differently. And everybody in this room is going to study differently. And everybody in this room is going to pray differently. But can I tell you something? God made you just the way you are. You are fearfully and wonderfully made tonight. And that God, that Savior, he wants a relationship with you tonight. Can you believe that? America is so impressed with celebrities today. We are so enamored with celebrities. Someone famous walked in this room right now. I'm telling you, if Donald Trump walked in this room right now, I don't care if you love him or hate him. If he walked in this room right now, we would be very seriously distracted. But can I tell you something? How about when God walks in the room? Hey, thank God he walks in this room. Thank God he blesses this church. Thank God he's moving here. Hey, he took him aside from the multitude because he wants a one-on-one relationship with you. Number two, real quickly tonight, I want you to look at this one. Look at verse number 32 again. The by verse 33, and he took him aside from the multitude, verse 33, and put his fingers into his ears. He put his fingers into his ears. I love this application. Don't miss this now. Can I tell you what the problem with many Christians today is? And I've had this problem too. I call it worldly wax. We've allowed our spiritual ears to get so full of worldly wax that we can't hear God speak to us anymore. We're so full of the world in our ears that we can't hear the word of the Lord anymore. You know, we keep hearing all the negativity that's out there. We keep hearing about how awful this world is. We keep listening to Fox News and God help us. Definitely not CNN and MSNBC. And we listen to these news. They watch all this stuff and we hear about what the president's been saying and doing and Ukraine and Russia. And sometimes our ears get so full of stuff that we get discouraged and get defeated. Can I tell you something today? Jesus might just want to clean our ears out tonight so that we can hear him clearly. Because if Jesus speaks to us tonight, he's got some things to say to us. 
First of all, he's going to say this. I'm still on the throne. Hallelujah. I'm the king of kings and I'm the Lord of lords and I'm coming again someday. Hallelujah. He wants us to hear those things. As you study the Bible and you read the word of God, God's word will consistently remind you that he's got this thing under control. My God has never been nervous. My God's never said, oops. My God's never said, "Uh uh-oh. He ain't got to send an angel to CVS or Walgreens to get a prescription filled because he's having anxiety. He knew COVID was coming. He knew Donald Trump would win. He knew Donald Trump would lose. He knew Joe Biden would be in power. He knew what Putin was going to do. He knows what's going on in Israel. And I can tell you right now, with assurance, as sure as I'm standing here today, my God's sitting on his throne. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And we need to hear that again in America right now. Yeah, right. i tell you what some of the problems with me to Christians today is this. You've been listening to the devil too much. Because the devil talks. You don't believe me? Look at Genesis 3. He came and talked to Eve, and boy, he managed to convince her to doubt God's word. And what did he do when he had a chance to tempt Jesus in Matthew 4 and Luke 4? In both passages, he even dared quote the Bible against Jesus and twisted the word of God. But thank God the Son of God knew the word of God and the Son of God rebuked him. And three strikes, Satan was about of there. Hallelujah. I'm here to remind you tonight that sometimes our ears get full of self, full of worldliness, full of negativity, full of doubt, full of deception. And we've forgotten that the true words of God have not changed. Listen, let me tell you something right now, too. I see all across this country. It just seems like so many Christians are selling out. So many Christians are quitting. So many Christians are turning their back on the things of God. I even have Christians recently say to me, I'm done. I'm going to quit. And I always say to them, quit to what? Where are you going to go? In John chapter six, Jesus is preaching some controversial things. And the Bible says in John six, 66, that's interesting, 666. The Bible says that many people departed and left him. And in verse 67, Jesus looked at Peter and says, will you go away also? And I love what Peter says, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Hallelujah tonight. Peter had heard the words of Jesus and he knew one thing tonight. Hallelujah. Everything's all right in my father's house. These worldly kings, these worldly dictators, these worldly leaders, they've come and they've gone. But God's still God tonight, no matter what. Number one tonight, he pulled them aside from the multitude because he wants a one-on-one relationship with you and me. Number two tonight, he put his fingers in his ears because there's some things he wants us to hear. Number three, he spit. He spit. Woo. Yuck. All right. What does that mean? What's the, what's the application? What application can we take from that? All right, I, I want you to back up in the same chapter to verse number 20. Now, in this context here, the Pharisees are upset because the disciples dared eat food without washing their hands. And they got upset. I mean, they were so nitpicky. That's what they had against the disciples. And so the Bible says this. Watch what Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, verse 20. And he said... That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of man, look what the Bible says, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Wow. Did you see that list in four short short verses? The Bible teaches us what is inside of a man and what comes out of us. Can I give you some good news tonight? 
Not a one of those things was in our Savior. Not a one of the things on that list was in our Savior. So if Jesus is going to let anything come out of his mouth, if he's going to spit on me, I don't have to worry about it being anything on this list. Because Jesus is going to spit on me mercy. And Jesus is going to spit on me grace. And Jesus is going to spit on me compassion. And Jesus is going to spit on me Holy Ghost power. Paul said, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you at Rome also. What is he saying? He says, there's something inside of me. Well, Paul, what's inside of you? I'm starting to get something inside of me that was inside of Jesus Christ. And may I say to you tonight that if Jesus should be able to spit on the church as much as he wants, because when Jesus spits, it's worth receiving that spit tonight. Number one tonight. He, put his, he pulls him aside from the multitude because he wants a one-on-one relationship. Number two, he put his fingers into his ears because there's some things he wants us to hear him say. Number three, he spit because there's things inside of him when you get inside of us. Number four, two more. And I want to spend a little time on number four here because I got a burden about this subject. Number four, the Bible says this. Look at the verse number 33 again with me. And he put his, it took him aside from the multitude. He put his fingers in his ears and he spit and touched his tongue. Touch this tongue. You're probably going to see something you've never seen before. I know you already saw a cartwheel. Probably never seen that in a pulpit before, right? But watch this. I'm going to touch my tongue for this little while. It's kind of hard to talk when someone touched your tongue, right? I put my finger on my tongue. You know, D.L. Moody one time said a woman came up to him after his message and said, you had 30 grammatical errors in your message tonight. D.L. Moody grabbed his tongue and said, woman, I'm using my tongue for the glory of God. What are you using your tongue for? We, we love to use our tongue to be criti- critical, right? But let me tell you, the big, one of the biggest problems in our churches today is this. You ready for this? Right there. Right there. I'm not going to get into it a whole lot because I might preach it this week. But in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah needed his tongue purged. I heard a preacher say one time that 70% of the sins in the average church are sins of the tongue. And when he said that, I thought, no, that can't be right. And I began to study the Bible out and I thought... Well, he's not far from the truth. And maybe that's why James chapter 3 says, the tongue no man can tame. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that we have become professional critics in America today. We are so good at complaining and finding the negative in things. And we need to get back to practicing what the book of Psalms say. I believe the Bible says that this deaf man had an impediment in his speech. And by the way, I've grown up around deaf people. They have by nature an impediment in their speech. The reason why they have an impediment in their speech is because they've never heard the proper speech. So because a deaf man, my father has, my dad could come up tonight and speak in this microphone just fine to you all. But most of you would not understand what he's saying because he has an impediment in his speech. He's still as intelligent as anybody in this room. I said he's got a bachelor's degree and two master's degree. He's, a, he's my hero. I love my dad. But he has an impediment in his speech. May I say to you that the church has a problem with an impediment in their speech because we like to criticize. We love to sit back and critique things. We look for the negative instead of the positive. And can I say to you, when I first got saved at 18 years old and I was coming into that church wide open and I was an independent Baptist for the first time and I was so excited about the goodness of God. One of the things that puzzled me was I could not believe how many teenagers were leaving the church as I was coming in. That was one thing. But one of the other things I could not get. I could not get the deadness in the average Baptist church. 
I just couldn't get it. Preachers, I love how preachers addressed that earlier. We're going to sing this again, rejoice, rejoice. And listen, nobody's getting scolded here tonight. Sometimes we're tired. Sometimes we've got our minds distracted. But can I just say, here's a place where we can get excited about the things of God. You might not be able to let her rip at work. I get it. But here you can. And can I just say, this afternoon we turned on March Madness for a little while. I enjoy sports. And there was a whole bunch of people in an arena cheering for a whole bunch of guys down there wearing silk pajamas, dunking a ball in a garbage can 10 feet high. They don't even know their name. And they were going absolutely crazy for these young athletes. And we come to church. And here's what the average preacher sees in America today when he preaches. Here's what I see. Don't get nervous. Some of y'all been doing it for 20 minutes. You can handle me doing it for 20 seconds, all right? <laughs> I, I'm simply saying that. I mean, there's been times I've been preaching, Brother Stenses, and I thought to myself, that dude back there dead. He ain't moved in 20 minutes. He's dead. He, I don't even think he's breathing. I look, I'm looking at the pastor. You better dial up 911 quick because that dude dead. And all of a sudden, I see him move. He, never mind. He's alive. Thank God. It's almost like the average Baptist church today. Someone's giving out little shots of, of vinegar at the back door. Here's your vinegar. <clears throat> you come in the church all miserable, sour-faced, and you sit there, and you're worried about what time it is because you got a roast and because your mother-in-law's coming into town today, and she's going to bring her cat with her, and life is miserable, and i got to see my boss tomorrow, and i got to work overtime this week. Hey, preacher, why don't you just bless my heart? And we come in with that spirit. We bring our burdens into this place. We've lost our shout. We've lost our joy. We've lost our excitement. We've lost our passion. And a young group of children can get up here and sing about amazing grace and it doesn't stir our hearts. Can I tell you what we need in America? We need God to touch our tongues again so that we can just bless the Lord, so we can praise him. He is worthy tonight. The longest book in the Bible is the book of Psalms, 150 chapters, where God says praise him, and God says bless him. And sometimes this feeble crowd will say, wow, what a vain God for him to expect praise and honor. Can I tell you why he expects it? Because he deserves it, and he's worthy of it. But let me tell you something else tonight. We humans can't handle that kind of praise. Praise and worship ruins mankind. Look at celebrities. Look at athletes. Look at actors and actresses. We're a mess in America. I mean, think about it, really. It's amazing to me what Americans get excited about. I mean, we will get so excited because somebody deflated footballs, puts on tight pants and shoulder pads and throws them across the pasture, kicks the ball through plumbing, and we call them heroes because they're football players. And NBA players, don't even get me started on the NBA today. I used to like the NBA, but I don't watch the NBA. I, call, I say the NBA stands for not basketball anymore. Bunch of effeminate Stephanie Curry-like players nowadays. Yeah, I called him Stephanie Curry. You better believe I called him Stephanie Curry. LeBron to James. I mean, the world we're living in right now, come on now. These guys, they, they, and then they complain about their country all the time. What other country on this planet would they make those millions of dollars? Come on, tell me right now. There's that tongue again. Our politicians constantly. I mean, here, here we go. I mean, we know, right, we're not having an election until 2024, but it's going to start in the next few months, right? They're going to have debates. They're going to start. And we're going to see it all the time. And all they're going to do is attack each other, criticize each other, and hate on each other. Get ready. Here it comes. Here we go. Both sides of the aisle. I have one favorite over the other. But listen, it's both sides of the aisle. And they'll consistently attack each other and go crazy. And it's no wonder we come into church and we sometimes get discouraged. But can I tell you something? Can I tell you something tonight? It's time the church has a revival of shouting and praising God. He is worthy. Let him touch your tongue. Let him help us realize tonight that he is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. I've been 
saved by the grace of God. I'm never going to touch hell. I'm a child of the king. All my sins are gone. I said, I'm never going to touch hell. Hey, that's, whoa, hallelujah, whoa, hallelujah, president. Hey, I'm never. Man, my pants are falling down. Hey, I'm never going to touch hell. I'm never going to touch hell. I'm never going to touch hell. For one second, I will never touch hell. I'm going to heaven someday. Hallelujah for that. Praise the Lord. Never going to touch hell. But here's what people say sometimes. Pastor, it's not my personality to get excited like that. I get it. I understand everybody's going to be crazy like me. I get that. But let's very carefully. Personality is never an excuse for disobedience. If I tell my son to clean his room and he says, Father, my personality does not allow me to clean the room tonight. I will say, son, you don't need to worry about personality. I'm commanding you to clean your room. The Bible says, praise you, the Lord. Bless the Lord. Romans 15, laud him, ye Gentiles. Do you understand tonight that you and I were a bunch of lost Gentiles, but God reached out his hand to us and grafted us in, according to the book of Romans. We now are saved by a bloody Jew that hung on a cross 2,000 years ago and lived again three days later. Listen to me. The devil has lost. We're on the winning side. I said, have I said it yet already? We're never going to touch hell. Did I say that? Let me say that one more time. We're never going to touch hell. He touches our tongue, and sometimes we just got to get a little about that. Hallelujah. I told the men in the split session yesterday. I closed in just a little bit. I got a few more minutes. I'll be done. I was uh, getting on a shuttle bus to go to the airport recently. And I love folk like this. The shuttle bus was packed. And they usually make you wait because you have to sit. But this particular driver said, come on in. So I stood up there right by the driver and put my suitcase in there. And the bus had about 20, 25 people on there. And we're heading to the flight, to the airport, to the terminal. Bus driver says, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm actually getting ready. I always like to tell people, I'm saying, I'm actually getting ready to get on a plane to fly out of Texas to preach a youth conference. Really? And he said, what are you preaching on? I said, you Christian? He goes, hey, I'm a Christian. So I told him what I was preaching on. It's about a 10-minute drive to the terminal. He says, hey, bus, listen up, everybody. This man up here is a preacher. He's getting ready to preach to y'all what he's going to preach at that conference. Go ahead, brother. <laughs> there's, there's 24 people sitting on the bus staring at me now, and I'm standing up there. I'm like, Hi. <laughs> He said, what'd you do? I preached to that crowd. Captive audience. They want to get on their flight. They had to listen. Amen. When we got to the airport, I did preach exactly three or four minutes of what I was going to preach to those teenagers. When we got to the airport, I stayed back a little bit so I could talk to the man. They all got off the bus. I gave him a little tip. Gave him a brochure. Told him about my ministry. I said, hey, sir, how do you not get in trouble for that? I said, I admire you doing that. But he goes, listen, I've been driving this bus for 25 years. And I told my boss from day one, if you won't let me talk about my Jesus, I'll find a job somewhere else. 25 years now, that shuttle bus driver has been testifying about Jesus on that bus. I told the men this story also one time. I got on a Southwest flight. I was sitting in the back row of the airplane. I picked the window seat. It was going to be a long flight, so I wanted to be able to be kind of against the window, lean my head up there, and it was a full flight. And a lady came in, a young 20-year-old blonde-haired lady, sat down on the aisle, and the plane was filling up. Finally, the sea crowd was coming in, as I already mentioned. And here comes this very, a man probably, probably in his 80s, walking down the aisle, and his wife was with him. And I looked at them both, and they're looking for a seat. And I was like, oh, Lord, okay, I'll give up. I said, hey, sir, I'll give you my seat. You and your wife can sit by each other. He goes, no, Sonny, my wife's mad at me. I ain't going to sit by her on this flight. <laughs> and, and how many of you, how many of you have a grandpa or a dad that's getting older, and he, he, he talks, but he doesn't know how loud he's talking? 
Like he talks real loud and you're like, Shh, but he doesn't know he's talking loud. All right. That's how this guy was. So the plane takes off. He's sitting right next to me. And I've learned a long time ago, if you want to start a conversation on a plane, just pull your Bible out of your bag. So I pulled my Bible out. I put the tray down when we hit that 10,000 feet mark. And I put my Bible out. And this man, Sonny, that's a good book you got right there. And I mean, the whole back half of the airplane could hear him. And I'm like. And for the next several minutes, he preached the gospel to the whole back half of the airplane. Well, that blonde haired girl looked like she needed one of those baths to help her breathe. You know, she was I mean, people were just shocked. But that man didn't care. He started preaching the gospel. He started asking me questions. I mean, literally for about 20 minutes of that flight, he preached the Bible to the back half of that airplane. I thought, oh, my soul. We need more Christians. That I use our tongue. For the glory of God. I don't agree with everything in this church. Okay. Go across the street and you start pastoring and you tell me how it works out for you. Everybody knows how to do the job of somebody else until they actually try to do it, right? You've got a good pastor, man. You've got a man that has vision. He's organized. He's got a passion for the Lord. He's wise. And you've got a great pastor's wife. Can I commend you all from what I hear? You're good to his children. I'm thankful for my church. They've always been good to my kids because preacher kids are a unique bunch of people. Listen to me. Use your tongue to build. Use your tongue to praise. Use your tongue to brag on the things of God. I tell you what, this deaf man, I bet for the next many months, all he could talk about when he finally did not have an impediment in his speech anymore was the day that Jesus got into his personal space. Find number five, and I'm done. Jesus does not say one word in this passage. That's what's amazing to me. They bring him to Jesus. They say, hey, there's Jesus. Hey, Jesus, can you help us out? This man, I don't know, cousin, brother, friend, he's deaf, and he has an impediment in his speech. Can you help him out? Jesus doesn't say one word. Jesus says, the man follows Jesus. They go away from the multitude. He puts his fingers in his ears, he spits, he touches his tongue, and then he says two words. Here it is. Look what we mean in the Bible right here, and we're done. Verse 34. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, here it is, be open. You know what Jesus is saying here? Here's the application. Jesus is saying, if you'll let me in your personal space tonight, I'll change your life. And if you'll let me stay in your personal space, you'll continue to have your life changed. In other words, be open. Here's what a lot of Christians do. Devil right now knows First Baptist Church Eaton's having a revival. Devil knows y'all are having it. Devil's like, go ahead, go to church Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Y'all do your thing and everything and get praise God and sing and all that good stuff. But Thursday morning, I'm going to come harass you. Thursday morning, you tell the devil... I'm still open. Jesus is allowed to be in my personal space. If at any moment this deaf man interrupted Jesus and said, leave me alone, he would have left a deaf man still with an impediment in his speech. But because he let Jesus in his personal space, a miracle happened. Has it been a long time since you've seen a miracle? Maybe it's time to let Jesus in your personal space. Hedge your bad eyes are closed. Thank you for listening so well tonight. 
Heads are bad, eyes are closed tonight as always. I'm not, never going to assume that in this good crowd that everybody's saved. And if you're watching online, make sure you get that salvation, get it settled. With their heads bowed and eyes closed tonight, I wonder if there's someone in this building I'd say, Preacher, I'm not sure that I'm going to heaven. And listen, I don't want to argue doctrine with you, but we say to children all the time, in order to get saved, let Jesus into your heart. Talk about letting him in your personal space. And I know that we use that to make sense of the children. But the fact is, listen, in order for you to get saved, he does have to move in. The Bible says the Holy Spirit seals us and indwells us. If you're not sure you're saved tonight, get that settled. Is there anybody in this building tonight that say, Preacher, I'm still not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure that I'm going to heaven someday. I need Jesus Christ to become my personal Savior. Pray for me tonight. Here's my hand. I'm going to lift it up. Anybody like you're in the building tonight? Salvation is the most important decision we'll ever make, ever. With their heads bowed and eyes closed this evening, can I ask you this very simple question? It's just, it's not a maybe. It's not a let me think about it. It's not a well, hmm, you know, I don't know. It's very simple, and I want you to be completely honest because you don't have to worry about lying to me. It ain't, it ain't between me and you, and it's between you and God. Here's the question. Is Jesus in your personal space? Is he in your personal space? The piano's going to start playing. Let's go ahead and stand. I'll turn over to the pastor. The altar's open tonight. Come say, Jesus, I want you in my personal space. I want you. Touch my ears. Touch my tongue. Spit on me. Whatever you got to do, Jesus. I want to see miracles again. I want personal revival. The altar's open tonight. Thank you so much, church.